Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. And if you just read you, this is a test transmission. It opens a new and, I think, exciting chapter in the story of radio. This is going to be a service to provide a tremendous amount of information and satisfy a lot of different interests. I was always itching to shake it during a program. In the air, on the river and underground. We hope very much that uh, Derek can hear us. Can you hear us? From Resonance 104.4 FM and social broadcasts, this is the Transmitter Radio Hour from XMTR.FM, a space dedicated to sonic storytelling, original sounds, new voices and archive treasures from radio broadcasts, podcasts and sound art across the globe. I'm Lucia Scadzocchio and I'll be scanning the digital soundscape to cut through the noise. The next hour has been curated by Steve Urquhart, a prolific radio maker based in Glasgow. Steve has selected audio pieces that have surprised, broken rules or touched him in some way. We'll be in conversation throughout the show and actually I'll just let Steve introduce himself. My name's Steve Urquhart. I am a, what am I? I'm a radio producer. I would say that first rather than an audio producer or a podcast producer, because I think, yes, that's that's kind of where it started for me. So I'm a radio producer and a sound artist, sound designer. Yeah, I make things with sound, usually for the radio, sometimes for other places as well. What I noticed about uh, a lot of your work is you're quite interested in kind of more marginalised voices, people who don't mm. necessarily have their voice heard um, on mainstream media. So was that something that just sort of developed over the years or is there just always been this interesting speaking to people who have stories to tell but aren't necessarily out there? It's always been that way, I think, with me. Yeah, right back to when I did community radio in the 90s radio would be very boring if it continued to just be the same sort of voices that you hear all the time but also there's a lot of people out there who are silenced and who don't get a platform and you know i think the very least that we can do as audio makers is to amplify those voices and those experiences often those are the most interesting and surprising stories out there but it's an absolute privilege to be able to to help to tell them. Should we start with your first? Yes, piece? and can I introduce this? It needs a little yes. bit of setup, so please, I'll, please I'll do, just yeah. uh, introduce this. So this is a piece from about ten years ago, and it was produced by somebody called Emily, who was at the time studying radio production in the US in Massachusetts. Now Emily had a deadline approaching for making a documentary and needed to find an idea. And she went online to Craigslist and she found a post from a man looking to remove a swastika tattoo from his arm. And she thought, well, there must be a story here. So she got in touch and started talking to Bruce. And then she met up with him. Hello. Hi, Anna. Nothing, how you doing? Jesus, I haven't heard from you in a while. How you been? (laughs) 
Actually, I'm with this girl, Emily, right now that's interviewing me. She's a f***ing college kid or something. She's, <laughs> she's interviewing me. I don't know if she does a radio thing or something. And she saw I have a ad in Craigslist about getting rid of the swastika tattoo I got. She wanted to know about that. So now she's all curious about prison and shit. 24. I'm not doing that. What the f is wrong with you? I'm taking her home right now. Whenever you're ready. I'm ready. I'd have to ask to turn the radio off because it's going to be distracting. And eventually, after you smoke, if we could close the window. Jesus Christ. Is this going to be a trying experience? Uh, only if you make it a trying experience. I think it should be relatively painless. Relatively painless. Alrighty. Let's start with the basics. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I'm Bruce Roderick from Cineville. I was born in Provincetown. 1951 to Portuguese parents and I moved to Yarmouth in 1964 and what else? Keep going. Just start from the top. What, am I, what do you want me to say? I don't know. I thought what you were here to look at my tattoo. I have a small swastika tattoo on my left arm and I wish to have it covered up. I cannot afford to pay what a tattoo shop is charging. It is only in a one square inch area. Please, if you do tats on your own, call me or text me. I just want it covered up, blacked out, nothing fancy. I did it when I was younger and I wanted it off. I started using drugs when I was 15. Some of the kids coming down from New York and Provincetown, they'd be in little rich kids' private schools where they were already using drugs and they'd bring that shit down. And the town kids would get around them and we'd start using it, sniffing glue, smoking pot, taking pills, and then it just progressed to other things. I started using heroin, which I liked more than anything, and I just continued. Since that day, I've always done heroin. I don't do anything else. I dropped out of school when I was 16, worked a little bit, then I started getting in trouble. And was a runaway, lived in the streets of Boston, and started going to prison when I was 17. What was that for? That was for a shooting and selling drugs. Summer of uh, 69, I believe, 69, yeah. I was going to go to Woodstock. I got arrested that weekend. I received three years sentence. I made parole. I was out for a month. I went back in. And then I started... I started robbing drug dealers. Wow. What was robbing drug dealers like? How'd you do that? I would knock on a door, they would open a the door, I'd put a gun in their face, go into the house and take the drugs. 
Have you ever killed anyone? <clears throat> no. Why would I sit here and admit to something like that anyway? If I did. Uh, yeah. Good question. Right. I um. I was robbing drug dealers, and that was my career, right up till 1985, when I went into a house. I went into a house in Centerville, and it was the uh, police were in the house. They posed as drug dealers, and. There was a confrontation in the house. I ended up going to prison for, uh, I spent 12 years in jail on that one. Then I got out again after uh, 12 years, went back in again for selling heroin. We got out, went back in again for selling heroin. Now I just got out again. Now here I am, I've been out two years, almost two years. This is the longest that I've been out here free and haven't been using. What's prison like? What's it like? Prison is very, is racial lines. There's lines. It's, you have to hang with your own kind. And if you let a black or a Spanish or somebody that's not of your race take advantage of you sexually or whatever, then you become a punk, I guess. You know, you want some gum? Which means anybody can take whatever they want from you because you just took up for yourself. You're fair game. I think I even got some pictures here. Pictures from prison? Yeah, I got a couple, I think. That's me when I was younger. That's a jailbird. My niece, my niece. That's me in a bar in Boston. Where's the jail pictures at? That's my father. That's me and my mother. We're kind of left on a little bit of a cliffhanger. We still don't know about the tattoo. About the tattoo. I kind of purposefully, yeah, didn't get to that bit yet. So it does come. Um, but yeah, you'll have to go and listen to the whole piece. Actually, I'm interested to know what you think of it because you'd never heard that before, had no, you? No, I hadn't. Um, a few things came up. I think the first thing is that she's a radio student and she's following the kind of things that you're taught really well with this stranger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she seems to be completely unfazed, has her recorder on the whole time so the whole time you know yeah. catching bits of this phone call before they start and then just asking these questions as though they're you know what, what did you buy in the supermarket yeah about never killed anyone what was robbing drug dealers exactly like? yeah. <laughs> and i'm just full of admiration like how did this uh, young student kind of completely keep their cool or were they just perhaps a little naive, I don't know. Yeah, possibly a bit of both. I'm not sure. That's my overriding thing, listening to that clip. I still feel uncomfortable. I've heard it, you know, quite a few times now. But I love all the stuff that's in there as well, that you hear the phone call and that you hear the sort of bits that, you know, we do as radio producers, you know, can you, can you turn the radio off and can you close the window and all that sort of thing. I think this piece would be very different if it didn't have all of that in if it just started with him introducing himself it sort of breaks all the rules about sort of what we're told yeah you can't keep that in and the audio quality's not great there and you know and all of that's in and that's why i love this piece so much i think i just wanted to just skip to the end so let's do that 
I spent over 30 years in prison. I'd like to have those years back. I never had any kids. I, uh, my mother and father were both dead. They never saw me uh, succeed in nothing. Uh, I'm 61, I don't have for money. You know, all of a sudden I woke up and I was 60 years old. It just flew by, the time flew right by. All behind drugs. That's it. Are we done? Yeah, we are. We are? <laughs> Basically, yeah. I'm sorry. But where are you going? Where do you have to go? I'll give you a ride, I'm saying. Okay. This oh, interview's over. I'm sorry. That's okay. Did it go all right? Yeah. We got to defrost. All right. What did you think, that dirty racist? I didn't know. What do you think now? Still that dirty racist? You still got that fing thing on? Yeah. <laughs> I do. Patience away with the thing. Thanks, Bruce. Fun. Take care. You better say I'm a nice fucking guy in this. Alrighty, thank you so much. What's up, Shot Dog? Why the f didn't you go pick up Charlie that day? He is some fing piss. She gets in the car with him as well. Wow. I know, I know. And I think what we heard there was, I mean, I kind of assumed that was the last time that they ever saw each other and, you know, you hear him drive off. But no, I got in touch with Emily. I sent an email a few years after the piece was made and uh, asked about it and I got a reply from Emily. So Emily said, um, oh, I just uh, listened to the piece for the first time in a long while and listening to it again, you know, I don't know if I'd change much structure-wise, but I wish I'd smoothed out some of the edits. I cringed a lot. I would also probably try to explore other options for the sound and the scoring, and I definitely would still get in touch with a Craigslist stranger for a story. And I asked, have you ever seen Bruce? I've been in touch with him since you got out of his truck and he drove away. And she said, I kept in touch with Bruce. He ended up getting his um, tattoo covered up about eight months after our interview and I would text him every six months or so to check in on him and see how he was doing. He would always give me some little life updates and complain a bit and then tell me to take care. And then uh, she says, I was back in Cape Cod in June 2015 and I met up with Bruce for lunch. And it was the first time I'd seen him since our interview. It was just really nice to talk to him again in person. And then I texted briefly with him that November and then he passed away suddenly on December the 5th. 2015 from complications from a stroke so i'm so glad that i had that last lunch memory of him and it surprised me that they'd kept in touch actually so that piece was called leaving a mark by a emily shao and she made that for a transom story workshop we're going to move to quite a change of pace, change of uh, vibe completely. So yeah. this is back to your days as a producer on local radio. You produced a magazine show? I did, yes. This is going back, I mean, nearly 25 years. Yeah, 99, 2000. Um, 
the sort of time I was uh, producing a daily three-hour mid-morning magazine show on Radio Cumbria, the BBC station in, uh, based in Carlisle. It needed a constant stream of local stories and characters to fill your three hours each day. We got to play music as well. Anyway, this is a piece where I sent my presenter, whose name's Alan Smith, to the town of Appleby in Cumbria, and there he met Audrey Heaton and her troupe of Dandy Dinmont Terriers, which she dressed in tartan hats and bonnets to perform to Highland music, raising money for local charities. <laughs> Why would you not want to go and interview Audrey and her dogs? Well, first of all, I think you'd better introduce me to them. Who are they? Yes, I will. These are the hot dogs. The one in my arm is Turtle Dove, and she is coming up 13. Uh, this one here is Honey, and she's the mother of most of them. That's her eldest daughter, Camzie. Uh, this is Bluebell, who's won quite a few prizes in winter crafts. This here is Jock. Uh, that's no relation, that's Hugh. He feels a bit out of it. Uh, and that's um, Trooper, who um, I sold, and they returned him because they said he was eating the furniture. Oh, is that right? That's true. But I've sold him again. He's going up to Edinburgh next week. They're a terrifically lively little lot, aren't they? Oh, they are. They can go like the clappers. They'd win the derby, but they wouldn't win the national. Because <laughs> they can't jump. Oh, they can jump, but the national is a twice-round course, and the derby's very fast and flat. Ah, They'd win the derby. I see. I've They're got you. They're very good jumpers. They can jump. Twice the height of themselves yeah. indoors. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're, oh, they're quite vocal as well. Yes. Who, this That's the... Tammy. Tammy. That's Tamsin. She had a litter of puppies in August, and it was rather hard luck. She only had one that survived. And that's the one over there. Right. That's Trooper. What's the story behind the Dandy Dinmonts? I mean, what is a Dandy Dinmont? Uh, Dandy Dinmont is a um, terrier that comes from up near Annick in the original uh, part. And then they were owned by the gypsies, so they used to go along with the gypsy caravans and take the marts and poults and the squires' pheasants and things. And then the farmers took rather a fancy to them, and they had them round for rats in the barn. They're very quick on rats. Uh-huh, yeah. Because they, 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 they're almost like they're built for speed, aren't they? Well, they are, and short legs to go under the donkey carts, you see, and long backs. Right. They must be a bit of a handful, though, aren't they, uh, all these? Well, uh, they're pretty good. I do it really by bribery. I've always got biscuits in my pockets. I should just say that as we're talking, they're all running around, and you can probably hear their little bells around their necks as well. And every now and again, you get a little yap out of one of them here. Um, so, so, actually, that was a cue for them to make a bit more noise, wasn't it? Yes. Should we just go into your barn over here? Because I know that in the barn is something a bit... Something a bit special, oops, which is the the course that you use to do the jumping. Well, here's a bit of a contrast to how they were before. They're all beautifully posed now on this table. And this is the barn where they do their training, isn't it? Yes, it is. We have to train twice a week because um, if not, they forget what they have to do in what order. We have an exact pattern. They go up the stepladder, uh, they go through the hoop, over the slide, round the hoops, and then other things like riding the cars. 
and the tricycle and the skateboard we do uh, afterwards. Sit down! Uh, John, sorry. <laughs> They've all got they've all got personalities of their own, oh, haven't they? Absolutely, there isn't one that's the same as another. Uh-huh, yeah, Jock's a particularly um, sort of a. He's I don't know. A, he's quite yeah. a bold chap, isn't yes. he? He lives in Wiltshire at the moment with relatives in Newcastle, uh-huh. but his owners are in Australia, so he's come back here just whilst they're in Australia. And how do the others take to the visitors? Well, I make jolly sure that we don't have any. Problems. I'm head dog from the word go. That's the only thing to do. Uh, and the bitches aren't on heat. Now, that would have been impossible. Right. Now, they, they do it to music, don't they? They do. They do it to Highland music. And they like it so much, the music, that they'll run in from outside into the barn to be ready to practice. But I did have two that hated it so much they hid under the bed. <laughs> So I rehomed those two because I would never make them do what they didn't enjoy of doing. Yeah. Do you want to start the music then? Right, and, um, I'll do that. Then I'll put and I'll... around. Um, I'll put around Tammy. Okay. So a chord to start with from the Scottish music, and a little bit of more music here to actually set them going. Now I'm going to have to do my description bit here. We have the dogs at one end of the barn here and Audrey's just unhooking one of them to do a little bit of um, performing for us. If you can imagine we've got several little gates here that they can all jump over. There's a tyre for them to jump through. There's even a seesaw and one or two obstacles. So let's see how they go on. The first one is down and about to perform and oh there she goes over the slide and through the tyre and over the top of the seesaw as well a little reward at one end and one two three jumps four jumps over at the end there and back round to the top of the course I'm not sure which dog this is this is and up over the slide again back through the tyre over the seesaw down the other side and one two three four jumps up to the top end I tell you what this is performing in its extreme. These dogs are just born performers and obviously have what you might call a little bit of star quality. And there she goes over the five bar gates too. If only you could see this. And she's rolling over on her back as well. She does anything that Audrey tells her, to be honest. Here we are. That was a tremendous performance of it. She obviously... Well, she missed two. She's in such a hurry, this one. She's only three. Yeah. But in another three years, she'll be the best of the bunch. Right. This is... She is a star performer, isn't she? Well, she will be. Wow. Kind of made me um, cringe and laugh at the same time, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tell me more about that. <laughs> I mean, I love the, the characters that when you work for local radio, you have to find these characters. And I think it's a shame, you know, um, these days there is a lot less of reporters going out into the community and meeting people it all seems to happen in the studio and I think that's a real loss it's just that interview style I just find tricky <laughs> but then I guess you know what what can you do yeah <laughs> you know with somebody like Audrey you just yeah off she goes and yeah <laughs> not much interviewing to be done in the end I hear what you say though about local radio yeah I worked in BBC local radio for about 10 years and um was very very fortunate to do so because you know I, I learned a lot made a lot of mistakes obviously but yeah really learned my craft there as well BBC local radio is going through some 
sad times at the moment, some really difficult times and lots of people losing their jobs and lots of stations, yeah, being shrunk and shrunk. So as you say, you know, there just isn't a lot of scope for presenters to go out to meet characters. It's on the phone at best, if at all these days. But yeah, you wouldn't get something like that. But yeah, do we need something like that? I don't know. Why did I choose it? I found it again recently and it just does make me smile it's chaotic it's ridiculous it's fabulous yeah that's why i chose it and you know it doesn't exist online anywhere until now (laughs) i wanted to put it back out into the world the hot dogs it's called it is produced well that's the name i've given it produced by you and the presenter there was alan smith Alan Smith now reads the news on BBC Radio 4's Today programme, amongst other things. It was some of the most fun that I think that people could have in radio. Um, I do miss it. I think it's fantastic. It's a buzz. It's fun. So this next one is produced by Sarah Boothroyd, who is, well, for me, certainly one of the most talented and creative audio producers I've ever heard. She's from Vancouver in Canada, and um, this is the beginning of a piece that she made called Rabble Rousers, which, as you'll hear, features field recordings of protests from around the globe. And she does some pretty incredible sonic things with these recordings. Wall Street. 
as hell not gonna take it anymore. Mad as hell not gonna take it anymore. Mad as hell not gonna take it anymore. Mad as hell not gonna take it anymore. a natural thing, just as natural as feeling glad or sorry. But angry feelings are disagreeable. They make you act and look as well as feel unhappy. But let's go back and see what made these boys and girls angry. markets and currency. These are not forces of nature. We invented them. And if they don't work, we can and we must change them. The system isn't giving good results. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. So that's a bit of Rabble Rousers by Sarah Boothroyd, which I just find absolutely extraordinary what uh, Sarah's done with those voices, turned them into music, uh, looped them I, I, what do you think of that, Lucia? Because I'm trying to struggle. I'm struggling to put it into words. Yeah, really. so I think it's it's really interesting, isn't it? That sort of line between you know, is it a piece of music? Mm-hmm. Is it a piece of radio? Is it a piece of sound art? Do we need to label it at all? That kind of interesting use of plunder phonics, mm-hmm. taking sounds and making them into a kind of musical piece. Lots of people have used sounds from protest and marches. It works well in a musical context. But what she's done is really created an emotion there rather than yeah. just, you know, it's not just people's slogans and things like that. There's a story. There's a feeling to it. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really powerful piece. Yeah, we just heard a bit of it there, but the whole thing is nearly half an hour long and it does go on a sort of documentary storytelling journey. I think it it really sets a mood. I think, you know, it's there's a whole sort of dark mood about the the sound and the sound design that works really well. I think it just sort of takes you there. That's what we try and do as audio makers, I suppose. But yeah, Sarah does it particularly well. When I hear that kind of work, it always makes me think, oh, I need to be a bit braver with my sound design and just have more fun with it as well. Yes, exactly. More fun. I think sometimes we can be a bit sort of like, oh, we've got to get content in. (laughs) We've got to get, you know, a narrative, real sort of structure or, or, you know, a story or, you know, keep people listening or, you know, all of that sort of thing. Whereas actually... This has lots of space in it. It needs lots of space. It's got real sort of crescendos and peaks and troughs in terms of the sound. You know, there's 
there's really intense bits and then there'll be a couple of minutes when it's a lot calmer and then it comes back it's kind of like almost like a big wave of the sort of crowd sort of coming and going and i think that's why it works so well for this because that is what protests can often be like yeah so the way in which it mirrors that is um spectacular That was a piece about protest. Next, we're in prison. And this is uh, something I chose because I worked in prison radio here in the UK for several years. I still do work with um, prisoners and inside jails producing audio. But back in 2011, I was working full time for National Prison Radio in HMP Brixton, which is an old Victorian prison in South London, holds about 800 men. One day, a colleague of mine, Chris Impey, took a walk through the prison with an audio recording device. And it's just a couple of minutes long, this piece, but I just wanted to share it. I walked through HMP Brixton. So I chose that because people who haven't been in prison are often fascinated by what it is like in prison. I've heard people say that the thing about prison is, yes, you're confined, but there's this, this constant noise and light, which is part of the punishment is that, is that you're, you just never get any peace and quiet. <laughs> and, yeah. and that really demonstrates that it's just this sort of constant clanging and the way I guess the way prisons are built as well means that the sound just travels everywhere all the time yeah oh yeah absolutely it sounds really harsh in terms of the sound and and yeah really echoey and every sound is really amplified through this really old Victorian prison as a producer going in working Mm. working in prison radio or working with prisoners I'm just always interested to know your role like yeah Yeah. 
My role there was as one of about six or seven radio producers and um, we worked as a small team within the prison in the radio station and we worked with about six or seven prisoners whose job it was to work in the radio station. They'd produce and present the programmes and we would support them to do that and train them and, and you know get what they needed and help to edit the show's to go out on the radio which makes it all sound very straightforward it's not it's not always sometimes you know the whole prison's locked down sometimes it's yeah really hard to get people in and and out and, and equipment as well even just sort of like you know if you need new microphones or whatever i think you know getting them through security and everything has to be cleared and stuff that can be tricky but yeah, it works. And um, the National Station can be heard across more than 100 prisons across across the country. And you made um, a really beautiful mixtape documentary um, mm-hmm. called Doing Bird. That is a piece I recorded in HMP Perth uh, here in Scotland with a small group of prisoners. And they were reacting to or responding creatively to archive birdsong recordings from around Scotland. So, yeah, it turned into a, a real mishmash of music, interview and sound art and, yeah, a whole load of stuff. They had a lot of fun doing that. We all did. Uh, we did that over a couple of days, and it was yeah, it was it was great fun and completely bonkers proposition. But yeah, they roast the challenge. Let's listen to this next piece. I'm curious mm. to know about this. Yeah. So this is um, Lynn and Mary, and this sort of follows on from us talking about prison radio. I actually met Lynn through prison radio a good few years ago, and then. Not long after she'd been released from prison, she had this conversation as part of the listening project on the BBC. Basically, in this conversation, Lynn asks her civil partner, Mary, you know, what happened to us after your time in prison? You know, how has that affected us? And that's what they're chatting about. But in a radio studio, they had been together for nine years and basically they're talking about whether they can save their relationship their partnership this conversation comes after yeah difficult year in which lynn was jailed for six weeks in hmp style in cheshire for drink driving the whole thing's about 15 minutes long uh but we're going to just play a bit of it one of the things that i could never get to grips with was when i'd i'd gone from the first night center to the wing yes and i could not believe when i'd got my phone credit and i rang you i will never ever forget when when you said to me so quite matter-of-factly so you don't want the newspaper cutting saving <gasps> right did, i mean did that not register well when you told me forcefully what you thought well, wait, did i do you not think i mean do i want to see my name in print for, for that particular reason i didn't have any ulterior motive somebody said to me cut them out and put them away and sometime when Lynn comes home she might like to see them don't leave <laughs> don't leave them out obviously in the I kitchen might like to, no i don't think so i feel that you you don't know me we're worlds apart because if you were supposed to have been together for 9 years haven't you learned anything about me why why would you take notice of neighbors rather than supposedly your partner i i can't remember why i did it i honestly can't it's obviously still rankling with you. What can I say? I'm sorry. And, I mean, don't forget, I know it was tough, tough, tough for you, but it was tough for me too. 
I suppose one of the things that you you only touched on with me really, and about the the, the effect that it's had on us. Although things were going wrong anyway before, it feels to me like it just impacted. And for me, it seems to have finished us. I wouldn't go that far. Um, it, it did have a tremendous impact bo- on both of us. And then when you came home, it was difficult to just, as if the six last six weeks hadn't happened and we just pick up where we left off. It, it just wasn't that easy. I did talk to you about renewing the vows, but there, there was something that you said about that. I just wanted you to get back settled at home and try and get our lives going again, however long it was going to take, and not rush into anything hastily. Just mm. thought what you'd gone through was a traumatic experience, and I remember saying to you when we I came to pick you up that morning from Style, I know you're not going to get over this in a week or two. If you remember, you were apprehensive, certainly the first couple of weeks. Well, no, cause, I mean, I, I obviously thought that people were looking at me and watching me or something. Yeah. Well, I, I understood that. It's, it's difficult to, um, to put into words, I suppose. In, in, t- in terms of us, what has it done to, to us? Because we don't really... We're not as close, is that what you're trying no. to say? Yeah. <laughs> well, I when you came home, and I wasn't surprised that this happened, but when you came home, my thoughts within a matter of hours were how much you changed. And I understood it. You, you'd had to be a different person, really. You, you became louder and more sort of aggressive, not physically, but... Your, your persona was more aggressive. But, I mean, it, what, what does bring me back is is the fact, uh, obviously, like, me and you. Yeah. Where's where's it going to take us? Because at the moment, it's, it's just two people sharing a house. I don't know. On paper, we're, we're supposed to be a couple. Yeah. In reality, we're not. Well, yeah, I suppose you could look at it like that. But it's it's how you move on from there, isn't it? Oh yeah. Is either of us content to just drift along like that, or I'm is not. is one one or the other prepared to make some serious suggestion for an improvement in the relationship? I mean, obviously, when I first met you, we used to do things. We used to go out for meals. We used to be looking at holiday brochures, planning on where we were going to go on holiday and things like that, and we just never do anything like that anymore. This will sound awful, and I don't mean it, but I want to say sorry, but I'm not quite sure what I'm saying sorry for. Maybe I'm saying sorry for... I don't know, a lot of things. Anyway, I think we should just continue the best we can. We should try and, and... build a few bridges and and, yeah. and and make things better. And if, if come the new year, if it doesn't work out, maybe that, maybe we will have to think about parting company. There are times I, I just wonder what's happened to us. We'll leave it at that now and just, just see how things go now. Right. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, good. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously very familiar with the Listening Project and StoryCorps, um, the American version of that, that they were inspired by um, for sure. this show. For me, it's always very interesting how people can have 
candid conversations and sometimes need to be in front of a microphone in a studio environment locked into headphones to have conversations that they just can't seem to be able to have Mm. at home you're kind of eavesdropping on this very personal moment between two people but that moment is also slightly performative because they know that it's being broadcast I don't quite know what to think after listening to listening project conversations because I'm in the room with these people but at the same time what's the incentive yeah I I don't know I'm always a little bit torn yeah I know what you mean and there's so much in that and it feels yeah it kind of feels like we shouldn't be in the room Mm. (laughs) with them uh to some extent but also they are somehow getting to say stuff that you get the sense that you know they've not been saying this anywhere else and it's important to say it but yes we're also in a radio studio and there's microphones and red lights on and that sort of thing so yeah there's going to be that performative aspect to some extent that just has to be but yeah it's awkward and I, I don't know I think when I first heard that I thought that's incredible have we got too close to that can you get too close I'm not sure assuming that you know they want to do this well it sounded like they needed to do it and that that was the way that they found to kind of have this tricky conversation that they obviously weren't able to have elsewhere and sometimes it's forcing that conversation to be civil and to listen and maybe that radio setup is what you need sometimes (laughs) yeah Uh, absolutely and particularly you know i certainly find that as a producer you know if you put a microphone in front of somebody it is almost like a oh right okay it's now my time to speak i've got the opportunity to to do that and people are listening i am being listened to i'm going to be heard you know there's a literally a microphone in front of my face it's almost like having the talking stick isn't it yeah yeah sometimes i think yeah people need that Again, you know, that that was from 10 years ago, and I was really curious to know what had become of those two. And so I got in touch with the Listening Project, and uh, I got a reply from the producer who'd, who'd produced that conversation. And can I just tell you a little bit about what she said? Yeah, go ahead. So this was from from Jane, and she said, Hi, Steve, I produced that conversation, and like you, it stuck with me for a long time afterwards. I have kept in touch with Lynn intermittently over the years, and prompted by your email, I rang her. She's now working as a pastry chef at a restaurant in Charlton. She was counselling and working on community radio, but um, has sort of given up on both because life's become a bit too busy. She got her driving licence back, and the biggest surprise for me she says, is that she and Mary are still together. They live in Manchester with three dogs, two cats and a fish. (laughs) It has always sounded like a relationship that can't live with you, can't live without you. It's certainly not all hearts and flowers. And there are obviously issues Lynn still has about her time in prison, but they have stuck with it. She was delighted to hear the conversation had such an impact and suggests perhaps they could do an updated version. I think she was only half joking. (laughs) So... Really nice to hear that, and surprising for me as well, actually, that, you know, it did feel like we were hearing a breakup on the radio, but no. But there's so much in that clip about what prison does to people Mm. and to people who are, you know, with those people. You know, she was in literally just for six weeks. I think that just little snapshot of the impact, just how those few weeks in prison what they've done to that person to that relationship is yeah 
really sort of is really stark. So change of tack again here, going into a very different kind of style in terms of both content and radio making. Yeah. So tell us about this one. Yeah, um, yeah, I just want to keep you on your toes. And also just to share some things that don't get heard very much or, you know, in some cases haven't been heard at all since they were made, really. Uh, but this is a piece from a few years ago, which I just really like. And I'm not even quite sure why I like it. I don't have much to say about it other than it's called The Furniture Supper Club. It's produced by an, an artist called Clara Lou, who's from New Hampshire, USA, but it's currently based here in Glasgow. And The Furniture Supper Club is an immersive radio play broadcast live using an FM transmitter. What's his name? Hey. Whose name? The child. Hey. Hi, child. Yes. Hello. Yes. I think I know you. I remember you from a photograph taken on a crowded train years ago. 15 years old. 16. No. Older. So long ago that we had it. But there's more. There's going to be a book launch. I remember. I still have it. The prize. I never learned the books. It was too embarrassing. Must have been you. Couldn't have been anyone else. Blue cover. Silver writing on the spine. What's his name? All coming through. Long distance. I want to talk to my grandmother. You have her number? No. Hang up and have your mother help you. Long distance. You pull 6334. One moment, please. I've been cut off, operator. I'm sorry. I'll try to get Milbray 2704 for you. Good afternoon. It's nice out, isn't it? A certain butterfly is already on the wing. Long distance. New Pole 6334. One moment, please. I'll meet you at 6 o'clock in the blue room. See you then. Don't be late. Long distance. Operator, I just woke up. The clock says 6, but I don't know if that's AM or PM. Long distance. You pull 6334. One moment. Is your backpack? No. Hey. Hey. Hello? I think I know you. Who are you? I remember you from a photograph taken on a crowded train years ago. Not knowing then. No? Recognizing. You recognize me. But there's more. More? You loaned me a book once, a novel. I still have it. That can't be right. Why not? I never loan my books. Their marginalia is too embarrassing. It must have been you. Couldn't have been anyone else. Well, what did it look like? Blue cover. Silver writing on the spine. Mm -hmm. I had a book like that once. Price written in pencil on a flyleaf? Yes. Typeset in Garamond? Yes. Bound with white thread? Yes. Picture of the author looking smug and self-satisfied on the back cover? No. Oh. This book had no picture of the author. Well, couldn't have been my book then. No. I must have mistaken you for someone else. Must have. Where are you headed? South. Me too. Let's walk. Let's rest. Okay.
What did you see at the figure? Yes. 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 Beyond that, so I cannot remember. This book had no picture the month of April so far away. March. Well, I remember crying, crying, crying and snotting no. and sputtering. I must what have mistaken for someone else. Studies, I think. That's right. Studies. I remember now. Chemistry, was it? No, Me too. economics. What's his name? Whose name? The child's. Our child's? Yes. His name is Mac. Oh, yes, Mac. It's all coming back to me now. He must be... Fifteen years old? Sixteen? Older. It was so long ago that we had him. It all feels so far away. I remember him crying, crying and snotting and sputtering. What does he do now? Studies, I think. That's right. Studies. I remember now. Chemistry, was it? No, economics. Good evening. Hello. How are you? I need to piss like a racehorse. You got any kids? Yes, we've got a son. What's his name? Whose name? Your son. His name is Matt. Oh, and how old is he? He must be 15 years old, 16. It was so long ago that we had him. It all feels so far away. What does he do now? Studies, I think. What does he study? Chemistry. No, economics. Why do I like this piece? Because it's messy. It just sounds really weirdly experimental. The editing is rough and choppy and it sounds very DIY with the actors and the way it's been put together and breaks all sorts of rules. But that's what I like about it. I don't know. I think so much audio is so sanitized and polished and... I don't know. I just I just really like it for that reason. And there's something very Wes Anderson about the sort of deadpanness mm. of their delivery and this kind of yeah. what what they call um contrapuntal radio where you're having to listen to lots of different things happening at the same time and you don't quite know where to tune in. And in that piece, they come back and then sort of like about 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, right, okay, that starts to make sense now. Yeah, I heard a bit of that earlier, but it was in a big old soup of lots of other bits as well. So yeah, this piece does that a lot. I love it. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So do I. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure that uh, Clara's been making much audio recently, so... um... And and this was this. this was a live installation. It was originally yeah, yeah in the US, uh, and then I think it took, I went to a couple of other places, uh, and then we broadcast it on Radio Freenia, which is a temporary pop up radio station, very much like Resonance in Glasgow. This leads us very nicely to the last piece that I've chosen. A real burlesque number really needs to have like a big ending. 
the only way to end an act is with a big, big sound. And I bump to the right. Perfect for pulling off the last piece of clothing. Bump to the left. And stepping into the spotlight. Bump to the center. It's the ultimate ta-da. <laughs> ta-da. So that was the very last bit of um, a documentary I made a few years ago called Music to Strip To. I played that because a bit of it got sampled by a musician here in Glasgow, uh, a guy called Alan Bryden. He wanted to create a piece inspired by some of the constraints associated with older digital technology and set himself the challenge of working with the maximum amount of audio files that could fit into the 32 meg memory space of his old Akai sampler, which is just a few minutes of sampling time. So one of the pieces that he sampled was a bit of my documentary in which the performance artist Darlinda, just Darlinda, describes the end of a routine. Bump to the right, bump to the left, bump to the centre. We talked earlier about making music out of pieces and Alan's done that rather wonderfully. Thank you so much, Steve, for sharing all of your pieces and just also giving us a bit of insight into who you are and the kind of things that you're interested in. You've made a lot of radio work like it's just I'm old I'm 48 Lisa. <laughs> there's lots and lots of interesting things to listen to so if people oh. want to hear more they should go to listen to steve.com and you've got a whole archive of work up there yes yeah most of it's there a lot of it's there but thank you yeah and I still love making radio and making audio and the landscape has changed a lot since I started but um, but there's still a lot of scope to have a lot of fun and yeah and to continue to sort of amplify voices of, of people whose voices should be amplified much more that's what I'm all about but Thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, it's been wonderful. So to play us out is this piece called Bump, Bump. by Alan Bryden. Yes. For more radio, podcast and sound art discoveries, head to xmtr.fm, a curated sonic storytelling platform made for independent makers, shakers and audio craftspeople. I'll be back with more audio discoveries in the new year. In the meantime, happy listening. Bump to the right, 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 bump to